Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, verses 50 through 58 today. It's Thanksgiving week. Most of you, if not all of you, will be hanging out with family, friends this week, giving thanks. If you don't have a place to uh, go for Thanksgiving, let us know. There are some families that would love to have you. Um, but this, this text seems to be uh, a most fitting place to be this morning uh, as, we, as we're heading into Thanksgiving. Not that I picked this text for this Sunday, it just happened to work out that way. But um, what should bring thankfulness to our hearts more than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of His coming. That's what we get to talk about this morning. Our King is coming uh, we will, as we looked at last week, we're going to be clothed in a glorious new body to be with him forever. And nothing should bring thankfulness to our hearts more than the truth of the gospel and the hope of Jesus' coming. And so um, let's stand together. I want to read verses 50 through 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, will, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Father, for the hope that is to come. Thank you for Jesus, the hope that we have right now, the truth that is Jesus. You came, you died, you were buried, and you were raised. And our hope is in you completely, Jesus. Not in ourselves, but in you. And so we long for the day that we get to see you. We long for the day that we'll be with you. Praise you for your word, Lord, this morning. We thank you. We ask, God, that you would incline our hearts to it. Open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts, that we would behold wonderful things from your law today. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What Paul's saying is, again, we're going through chapter 15 here, is something has to change. Something has to change with our body. Something has to change inside of us, and something has to change outside of us for us to be fit for heaven. Something had to change inside of us. Jesus refers to that in John chapter 3. Jesus says you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, right? The wind blows, says it may we don't know where it comes from or where it's going so it is with the holy spirit so he's talking about a spiritual change a spiritual birth that has to happen something had to happen inside of us to make us fit for heaven and because of that when we put our faith and trust in the work of jesus we're given new hearts we're given a new nature 
And the Lord makes us fit for him. As as Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says we're holy and blameless before him, spiritually. But Paul's telling us here, something also has to change with our bodies. Because this corruptible body of flesh and blood is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's not fit for heaven. So something has to change. This perishable body has to be done away with and us given this imperishable body that's to come that Paul's been speaking of in the previous verses. He says, he goes on in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So Paul says, I, I, I'm telling you what's going to take place. He's revealing the hope of what's coming. Behold, I tell you a mystery, something that had not been disclosed to them before, but Paul's relaying to them now, something new that they didn't know up to this point. Behold, look, behold, I tell you a mystery. And he says to them, those who are still alive when Jesus returns won't die. They'll be changed. They'll be glorified. They'll be given glorified bodies in that very moment. Now, what we know from that is what Paul's saying is not everyone's going to die. Jesus is coming at some point. We don't know when, but he's coming. And when he comes, there will be some believers who are still alive on this earth. And when he comes, those believers will not have to die. They'll just be changed. And he says it's going to happen in a moment. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That word moment is the word we get our word Adam from, A-T-O-M, Adam. And it means something that is not, you're not able to cut or divide anymore. It's at its smallest increment. So whatever it is, it's uncuttable anymore, it's undivisible. So as it's relating to time, what Paul's saying is, in the smallest amount of time, we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed into these glorified bodies. He says, in the twinkling of an eye. So we can kind of imagine that. When you talk about atoms and splitting parts into something we can't comprehend, something that small, but a little bit we can get a sense of it when he says in the twinkling of an eye or like the blink of an eye, we know how fast that happens. And what Paul's saying is when the Lord comes, for those who remain, it's going to be just like that. So the dead are going to be raised. We're going to be changed, Paul says, and it's going to happen so quickly you won't even be able to imagine I don't know about you, that's amazing stuff. But when will this happen? Well, Paul tells us there, at the last trumpet. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Let's just pause for a second. What Paul said is, this body is not fit for heaven, okay? Something has to happen, but I want to tell you, it's going to happen. Whether we die or whether we are alive when Jesus returns, it's going to happen. Jesus will make us fit for his kingdom, and he says it's going to happen at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. The trumpet will sound, the devil will be raised, and we, those Christians who are still alive, are going to be changed. We're going to be glorified. 
Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, verse 31. He says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There have been times in my life, I'll be honest, where that hasn't been encouraging to me. I've heard that the Lord's coming back inside of me. I'm scared. I'm terrified. I'm not living the way that I'm supposed to be living. So it's nerve-wracking. What Paul's saying is these things should be encouraging to us. We are waiting for the blessed return of our Savior in a trumpet. I don't know what the trumpet's going to sound like, but according to Jesus and Paul to the Corinthians and Paul to the Thessalonians, this trumpet's going to sound. Dead are going to be raised. We're going to be changed and meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to be with him forever. That is really, 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 really good stuff. Now, I know some of you want to know, but when? I don't want just the trumpet answer. I want to know, when is this going to happen? Are we anticipating the Lord coming back before the tribulation? Is he going to come back sometime in the middle of the tribulation and mid-trib, maybe pre-wrath? Or is he going to come after the tribulation? Do we have to go through the tribulation, Tony? And, and, And then the Lord's going to come back. Some of you maybe have searched our, our website, looking through the statement of faith. What does this place believe about the coming of the Lord and what's going to happen? And, and, and you, if you've looked, it's not there. Uh, and if you haven't looked, save yourself the time. It's not on there. It's not in our statement of faith. We don't make a stance on that. Um, you know, I know that's satisfying to you right now. But the reason it's not there is because it's not here. There's things I don't know. There's things I don't understand. There's things that I'm just, it's, it's gray. And I, I feel comfortable telling you that because to be honest, if you came to me or come to me after the service and say, well, I'll tell you, I know that the Lord is coming back at this time. I can show you biblically some really big hurdles that you have to cross to get to that. Now, I will tell you, I don't want to get your hopes up, but I want to tell you where I lean. And I will tell you, I lean very far in this direction, uh, but there are things that I am working through and things that I am uh, studying through. But just to give you uh, an idea of where I am coming from, uh, I, re- I believe that as we look at 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, 15, what Paul is referring to is a time that is coming after the tribulation. That, that we will be resurrected after the tribulation, and that is when Jesus is going to come. And I believe that Paul's pointing to that here with joy, with anticipation, with expectancy. Um, I believe he's, he's, he's pointing to it in a way that is, is, is giving us an, a feeling of imminency, that it could happen at any moment. And here's quickly why I believe that, um, that the scripture does teach that, that those who are still alive will go through the tribulation before uh, they are caught up to be with the Lord. First of all, it's Jesus. Uh, I believe that because of Jesus. If you read through Jesus' teaching on the return of the Son of Man, you just get no sense whatsoever that there's not going to be trouble that, that the people go through. In fact, if you go to the passage I read, 
Matthew 24, starting, let's start with verse 29. Matthew 24, this is Jesus teaching. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. As Jesus teaches a, he says, and I'll be honest with you, there are things about chapter 24 in Jesus' teaching that are, 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 are not crystal clear, okay? Um, it, 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 he says in it, let the reader understand, okay, what he's saying in there. But it seems to me when he says that after the tribulation, trumpet is going to sound, elect are going to be gathered, that that seems pretty clear black and white that that's what's going to happen the tribulation is going to take place then the trumpet that paul refers to in first corinthians 15 is sounded and then the elect are gathered that seems to me to make sense that 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 jesus is kind of giving us a timeline and that paul is as well that of, of these are things that are going to take place um i i know there's some differences of opinion on uh the trumpet and and for me when when Paul says the last trumpet, then I have to take that to mean it's the last trumpet, that it's not a trumpet before the last trumpet or the last trumpet of a series of seven trumpets and then a final trumpet. Well, you know what I'm saying? And so it seems like when he says last trumpet, he means the last trumpet. And so I definitely lean that way. Luke, though, to give you um, such a wonderful, hope-filled picture of Jesus speaking these things in, in, in Luke Luke 21, verse 25. If you haven't read this, this is so, so wonderful. Jesus on the coming of the Son of Man, of himself. Verse 25, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. And raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. Your redemption is drawing near. So when you see these things take place, don't get discouraged. Don't be worried. Don't be down. Straighten up. Get ready. Lift your head. Look because your Savior, your redemption is coming. Another reason I, I lean that way is Paul's writing, as I, as I mentioned to uh, the Thessalonians, uh, you can read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians, um, but specifically in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, as, as he's responding to some concern among the Thessalonians who are worried about maybe the coming of the Son of Man has already taken place, and Paul's writing to them to encourage them in these things. And in the midst of that, after encouraging them, telling them about the coming of the Lord that's going to take place, in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, uh, excuse me, in verse 4, he says, But you 
are not in darkness, brothers, for that day. What day? He's talking about tribulation in the verses preceding that. For that day to surprise you like a thief. So in his encouraging the Thessalonians, he's doing it in a way that tells them to be prepared and not to be surprised by the tribulation. And third, I would say that um, the reason I lean that way is the, the idea of the tribulation and going through tribulation and suffering and, and trouble is only unique to us. We're, we're, um, we're sort of an anomaly as it comes to the church in America. You go to China, you go to India, you go to places like that and talk to them about the tribulation and they're just like, you mean like Thursday was for me or Monday or yesterday? Like that's just, that's their everyday life. And so for us who, who don't, I, I mean, truthfully, Christianity for us is, is not like it looks like in the New Testament, right? As far as there's an expectancy. In fact, the elders were talking in our meeting uh, the last time about Matthew 10, right? Where Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And in that context, he says, some of your kids are going to hand you over, your children, your sons and your daughters that you've, you've poured into, they're going to hand you over because they hate you, because they hate me. They're going to hand you over to the authorities. I don't get that. Like, I don't, I've never experienced a calling or a suffering for Christ like that. I don't get that. And I don't think many people in our context do. But as, as far as Christianity around the world, that makes sense to them. And so I don't think it takes away from an imminency. Did I say that right? Did that just come out right? It sounded wrong. Okay. All right. It's like looking at the same word for a long time. It looks wrong. Okay. I don't think it takes away from that and that expectancy that Jesus could come at any moment to, to, to believe that it's a post-tribulational, uh, to have a post-tribulational view because for most of the world, they're anticipating it suffering what people will suffer in the tribulation today and yesterday and the day before and the day before. And so they're just expecting, 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 expecting. Now, let me say on that, there are things that, that I am still praying and, 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 and studying and, and, and striving to figure out as it comes to the scriptures. And here's the joy in this, okay? Because it's funny, both services, um, breathing becomes heavier during this part uh, and eyes get a little brighter and all that. Look, our unity... Our unity is in the fact that we believe. Some of you will stand differently than I do. Some of you believe that the Lord is going to rapture the church before the tribulation. And some of you believe sometime in the midst of that. Our unity is in the hope and the truth that Jesus is coming. And our joy is in the truth that Jesus is coming. And we ought to be ready. And I will tell you, we ought to be willing for his name to suffer whatever he brings our way. It seems normative in the scriptures for the Lord not to deliver his people from suffering, but to deliver them through suffering. That's what seems normative in the scriptures, and he's worthy of that, and he's glorified in that. And so whatever it is and wherever you lean, our unity is in the truth and the hope that he's coming, and certainly that is what Paul is saying here, behold, he's coming. And we will not all sleep, but we will all be 
changed. He goes on in verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. One it has to change. One is not compatible for heaven. This fleshly, flesh and blood body is not compatible. It must be changed. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When all that happens, Paul's saying, when the, when the resurrection takes place, then Isaiah 25, 8 will be fulfilled. And that's what is in quotes there. Death is swallowed up in victory. Christ victorious over death. It's the hope of what we've been looking at all through chapter 15. Christ overcame death. Therefore, in Christ, we will be raised and glorified. And when all of that takes place, then what was written will be fulfilled. Christ victorious over death. No more death from then on. No more sting or pain of death from then on. You imagine that as you think ahead to Revelation 21 verse 3 where Paul's uh, or where uh, John is writing and and saying that then God will dwell with man and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death from then on. Just Jesus and worshiping him and being with him forever and ever and ever. No more sting, no more death. Our king is coming. Things are going to be different. And that's why I believe you shouldn't get too carried away with when Jesus is coming back. He's coming. And if we go through the tribulation, he's coming to rescue us. And if we don't, he's coming to rescue us. Us And our hope should not be in whether or not we have to or get to or are going to or whatever. It shouldn't, it shouldn't even worry us to most extents. Because our joy is that he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And when he comes, everything will be different. Death will be swallowed up in victory. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. No matter what suffering we endure, no matter what we go through, this will be truth for us. We will look back and see it as a slight momentary affliction. And we will receive a weight of glory in response to the slight momentary affliction that is brought on us. Verse 56 goes on, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And what's Paul saying here? He impacts this much more in Romans 5 and 7, which I, I encourage you to read Romans 5, 6, 7. You have some time off, I assume, this week. And get in some extra reading, Romans 5, 6, 7. Read through that, read all the way through Romans 8. What Paul's saying here is when we see the law of God, we see that we're not capable of fulfilling it. And Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is not sin. In fact, in Romans 7, verses uh, 7 through 12, he says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. We're all sinners, Paul says in Romans. And we see the law, when we see the law, we become aware of our sin. The law is written on our hearts. He says that in Romans 2. It's written on everyone's hearts. The law is written on our hearts. When we see it written or when we see it spoken or heard it, hear it spoken to us, then we become aware of that. So as he says, I didn't know what it was to covenant until I heard you shall not covet. And then that became alive in me. And I realized I can't not covet. I cannot overcome coveting. I cannot overcome idolatry. And so as we become aware of it, we realize that we become aware we can't overcome sin in our own power. You think about even just on a, a simple uh, level of, of people. You don't find people, if you go to the park, you don't find people who, who just gravitate towards going up to a park bench and getting their face as close to the park bench as possible and then touching the park bench, right? Unless you put a sign on the park bench that says, don't touch wet paint. And then people act really weird, right? And then they're like getting close and they have to touch it. It's like, it's wet paint. <laughs> the sign was, sign was right, it's wet paint, right? And so, but I'm not just talking about kids there, it's adults. Like you see that and something awakens in you. I didn't care about the bench. I didn't care about the wall. Something awakens in you, got to touch it. Got to see. And, and, and to a much more extreme level, that's what Paul is saying. When I heard, do not covet, the truth of my idolatry was awakened. And I realized even more how much of an idolater I was, is what Paul's saying. I see more and more that I can't obey. In fact, he says in Romans 15, or in Romans 7, starting with verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul says sin is the cause of death and the knowledge of sin comes from the law. And, and the truth is, if that was the end of the story, we would be undone. We'd have no hope because the truth for all of us is we're all sinners. And as we see the commandment, what's awakened us is the truth that we cannot overcome sin. In our own power, we are lost. We are, we're hopeless. We are helpless. 
And that is the, the glorious news of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. If that was the end of the story that we just found out that we were stuck in our sin and that there was no way for us to overcome it, that's bad news. But Paul says, going on in verse uh, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not stuck. We're not undone. God gives us victory through Jesus. Not just in the future, but now. This is a present tense. God keeps on giving us the victory is what that literally means there. Now, by giving us a new nature. So that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that before God, we are holy and blameless before Him. And then, by giving us resurrected bodies. So these bodies of flesh are done away with. Paul says again in Romans 7, verses 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus delivers us. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law for us. And Jesus fulfilled the penalty of sin, which is death. We can rest, we can rest knowing that in Christ there is victory. In fact, he goes on in chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, now or forever. Legally, we are right before God because we are in Christ, not because we have some ability to overcome sin. We don't. We have Jesus. And eventually we'll be delivered from this body of flesh that's in bondage to sin and we'll be given glorified bodies. No more sting. No more sting of death. Which is sin. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we respond to that? We've gone through chapter 15. We've gone through 57 of the verses, of the 58 verses in chapter 15. Now, how do we respond to that? The gospel, that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he was raised. If we're in him, we are filled with hope because we too will be raised. We will be with him forever because he was raised, because we will be raised. We are not to be pitied. How do we respond to the truth of the gospel? How do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, the wonderful thing about chapter 15 is Paul ends chapter 15 with verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, because Jesus lives, because he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, because he's not in the grave, because he lives and you too will be raised with him, because of that, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of these truths, knowing that your king is coming, this is how you should live. Be steadfast. Paul says, be steadfast. Remain firm in the Lord. Don't just maintain the status quo. So often people will, will say, I used to say, just as a teenager, if I can just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, 
I can just make it there. That is not an understanding of the gospel. We cannot get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We get to heaven by the slaughtering of the Son of God. And we either have faith in that that changes us, or we don't have faith. We can't get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We are holy and blameless before Him. And Paul says, in light of that truth, be steadfast, be firm. Grow, grow in your love for the Lord. Grow in Him. Don't just settle for the status quo Christianity. Grow, be steadfast, be firm. Hold on to these truths. These these are truths. So live in light of the resurrection. Be steadfast, be immovable, Paul says. Don't let anything move you away from the work of the Lord. Don't let anything move you away from love for the Lord. Don't let anything tempt you into thinking that it is a better treasure than Jesus is. Don't let anything think you that it will, tempt you into thinking that it will satisfy you more than Jesus. Be immovable. Why? Because Jesus lives. And you will be glorified and raised with him. Be immovable. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says to the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he goes into the whole put on the armor of God section, which you can read this week. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. First Peter. Peter writes in chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. In other words, don't let anything come in that's going to intoxicate your mind. It's going to make you think slowly about the things of the Lord. Don't let anything going to don't let anything in that's going to intoxicate your mind away from. Be firm, be strong, be steadfast, be immovable, immovable. Be sober-minded, Peter says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Be steadfast and immovable, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. He loves, loves to make you think that you don't have to live in light of the resurrection. Just live however you want. Just do whatever you want. Be intoxicated in your mind. Do do whatever. You don't have to be steadfast you don't have to be immovable Paul says, no no in light of the resurrection be watchful be thinking be steadfast be immovable always he says always abounding in the work of the lord so be steadfast and immovable why because jesus is alive and always abound in the work of the lord because he's alive Always abound in the work of the Lord. Now you might ask, what is the work of the Lord? I don't know. It's kind of vague. I don't know what the work of the Lord is. Well, look down a few verses to chapter 16, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So if it's vague for you, 
to understand what am I supposed to be doing, how am I supposed to be in the work of the Lord, just look to Paul and Timothy. Paul says, look to Timothy. He's doing the work of the Lord just as I'm doing the work of the Lord. And so just as he says in chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do the work of the Lord as I'm doing. And so Paul is saying to Corinthians, not to professional Christians, not to pastors, not to elders, not to deacons. He's saying to Corinthians, to every brother and sister, abound in the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord. Evangelism, studying, praying, worshiping, discipleship. Look to Paul, look to Timothy, see how they lived. Knowing, Paul says, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That is wonderful. Do you remember what the wisest man who ever lived said in Ecclesiastes? Do you remember the theme of Ecclesiastes? All is vanity. All is vanity vanity all is vain it's just a a a chasing after the wind all is vain paul says not so for those in christ because of the resurrection not so abound in the work of the lord because the work of the lord is not in vain it's not vanity it's not wasted time Jesus died. Your sins are paid for. Jesus was raised from the dead. He's living and interceding for you. And because of this, you are alive in him. And the same power that raised him from the dead is working for you. So labor in the work of the Lord because it counts. It matters. Because of the resurrection, our labor in the work of the Lord is not in vain. If you want an unwasted life, a life that is well lived, a life that is not in vain, abound in the work of the Lord. And don't get this backwards. Paul's not saying you are laboring, therefore God will accept you. Paul says God accepts you because he accepted Jesus. Therefore, labor for him in response to his love and acceptance of you. Our king is coming. Our king is is coming. Are we living in light of this joyful truth and the power of the risen Lord? Lance and I were, were talking this last week as we're wrapping up chapter 15 and, and, and just as Paul said in the text previously, our bodies are weak. They're going to they're gonna be buried in weakness but they're going to be raised in power. Our bodies are weak and we are prone to wander away from truths that we embrace. So you go through chapter 15, we've been five weeks in chapter 15, five weeks that we've just looked at the word and talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we too will be raised and the hope that is to come for us. And hopefully as you've looked at the scriptures and, and seen what the Lord says about those things, that you're embracing that and, and you're understanding that I, I have to walk in light of the resurrection. I live in light of the resurrection. There's hope because of the resurrection. I'm not to be pitied because of the resurrection. And so my living should be differently because Jesus is alive. But we are weak. And so what we are, we're praying and hoping is that we're not closing the chapter 15 and then we don't think about this anymore. Do we believe? Do we believe 
the gospel. Just the way that, that Paul starts chapter 15. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do we believe and are we going to continue to live in light of the resurrection? Are we going to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord? That's our prayer. That as a body, we would be set apart. And that as the world looks in, they would see a people that are different. A people that believe. A people whose hope is set on the coming of Jesus Christ who are not caught up in all of the talk and caught up in all of the worry, caught up in all of the fear. Their hope is in Jesus who is coming and is going to make all things new. Our King, our King is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. You lived the righteous life that we cannot live. Our, our hearts and our eyes have been awakened to the truth that you have a law, but we can't fulfill it. We can't obey it. The harder we try, the more we become aware that in ourselves there's no power that we have to overcome sin. We are in bondage in this body of flesh. But thanks be to God, Jesus, that you came and you lived as we cannot live. And you died and took the punishment for the sins that we have committed. You were buried and in power you were raised never to die again. And you have promised that for those of us who have believed in your work, who have trusted in your righteousness and trusted in your sacrifice, that our sins have been applied to you and your righteousness has been applied to us and we are waiting waiting, looking ahead to your coming. We will be raised. We will be given bodies that never perish. We will be with the Lord that we love, able to worship you in spirit and in truth forever and ever and never grow tired of it, Lord. We will be able to glorify you as you deserve to be glorified. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you. And I ask you by your spirit that you would help us Help us to be a people, Lord, set apart for your work, that we would abound in the work of the Lord, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we wouldn't be ashamed of you, Jesus, that we would walk in newness of life, that we put off the old and put on the new, that our joy and our unity would be in the truth, Jesus, of you. That we would have a unique love for each other, that we would have a unique love for others. And as the world looks in, they would see you gloriously displayed, Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.